Look, Bumble knows you're exhausted by dating. All the, must not take yourself too seriously, and 6-1 since that matters, and what do I even say other than, hey? <sighs> well, that's why they're introducing an all-new Bumble. With exciting features to make compatibility easier, starting the chat better, and dating safer. They've changed, so you don't have to. Download the new Bumble now. Libro.fm lets you purchase audiobooks directly from your favorite local bookstore. You can pick from more than 100,000 audiobooks, including New York Times bestsellers and recommendations from booksellers around the country. With Libro.fm, you'll get the same audiobooks at the same price as the largest audiobook company out there. You know the name but you'll be a part of a much different story, one that supports community. All you need is a smartphone and a free Libro.fm app. If you already love audiobooks and don't know what to listen to next, check out recommendations and curated lists from the people who know audiobooks best, local booksellers. In June, Libro.fm is launching their Kids Club and YA Club, which will offer select audiobooks priced under $10 each month, as well as their Summer Listening Challenge. Each person to finish will get a free audiobook credit and the chance to win free audiobooks for a year if you complete the challenge extra credit. Listeners of all the books can get a three-month audiobook membership for the price of one month. Go to Libro.fm, that's L-I-B-R-O dot F-M, and enter code BR3. With each listen, take pride in knowing that you're supporting local bookstores. You're listening to All the Books a weekly show of recommendations and enthusiasm regarding the week's new book releases. This is episode 214, and today we are talking about books being released on June 25th, 2019, and more. I'm Liberty Hardy, here with Rincey Abraham, and we're coming to you from bookriot.com. Rincey, hello! Hello! I'm so excited to be here. I'm excited that you're here, too. I was like, please, please, please be a guest (laughs) on the show. Um, I feel... Oh, sorry, go ahead. Oh, I was just going to say, I feel like I should be, like, first-time caller, long-time listener, because I listen <laughs> to this, like, every week. <laughs> well, it's funny, because I, like, I've always known you as Rincey, and, you know, we all work together on the internet, but not so much, like, discussing things in person, and I just went to say your last name, and I was like, am I saying her last name right? It's Abraham, right? Like, I, yeah. I don't think I've ever, like, could think of your last name, you know, without help. yeah it's funny because like on the internet and even like in our book riot slack and stuff like that i only ever use my first name because Mm -hmm. like how many rinseys are there in the world so usually i don't need to like include my last name in anything so i usually just go by rincey on everything so i think people like don't either realize or remember or like it's like throws people off when they see (laughs) my last name online yeah and i'm i'm super i'm very skittish about everything so i was just like what is that um but so like you've been with book riot forever and do all kinds of awesome things. But for listeners who maybe do not know of those awesome things, could you tell us a little bit about what you do or what you like to do or anything you want to tell us? <laughs> um, yeah, so people will probably either recognize me from uh, co-hosting the Red or Dead podcast that we have, which is our mystery thriller podcast at Book Riot. Um, I co-host that with Katie McLean, who has been on an episode of all the books, so you may have heard from her previously. And so, yeah, that one is all about mysteries, thrillers, suspense, true crime, anything along those lines. Liberty has guested on one of the episodes where we talked about Agatha Christie, which was Woo-hoo. fantastic. Yeah, that was a fun episode. Um, so you... Definitely check that out if you are interested in mysteries and thrillers and things like that. I also um, make 
YouTube videos for Book Riot, which I feel like a lot of people don't realize we have a YouTube channel, but we do. Um, it's youtube.com slash bookriotvideo, um, or you can just type Book Riot into like the search bar and I'm sure it'll pop up. But yeah, I make videos there twice a week and along with uh, Wallace and Vanessa. So yeah, that's the majority of what I do with Book Riot. Awesome. And now that uh, we've discussed that, I'm going to put you to work. Could you please tell us about today's first sponsor? Of course. Um, so our first sponsor today is The Daughters of Temperance Hobbs, the new book from New York Times bestselling author Catherine Howe. It is on sale now from Henry Holt. A magical bloodline, a family curse. Can Connie break the spell before it shatters her future? This new book from Catherine Howe, the bestselling author of the Physic Book of Deliverance Stain, um, and the... Uh, basically, the idea is that you are returning to this world with a bewitching story of a New England history professor who must race against time to free her family from a curse. Um, Kathleen Kent said that this is a real, there's real magic in this book. Um, so again, that's The Daughters of Temperance Hobbs by Catherine Howe. All right. I, um, it's like 10, I think 10 years ago was when the Physic Book of Deliverance Dane came out and I was working oh, wow. at the bookstore and we got a galley and I was looking at the front and it was like, and then and I was like, oh, this is cool. And then I was looking at the back and I was like, the author is related to a Salem witch. And I was like, wait a second, because what? one of my grandmother's seven greats back is Elizabeth Howe, one of the Salem witches. And it turns out that uh, Catherine Howe is related to the same woman, um, which was really cool. And so like we got to talk and meet because, but like, we don't know each other. I could never really get this math when I was a kid. Like, you have two grandparents on either side, but then yeah. you have four great-grandparents and, you know, eight great-great-grandparents on each side, and it just keeps getting bigger and bigger and bigger, so, like, you can be related to so many people and you just have no idea. Um, so, But that was, like, really cool, and I got to meet her, and I'm really excited about this sequel. So, um, And it is out now. We'll have a link to it in the show notes. So I'm going to talk about my first pick now. I was so excited about this book, and it was worthy of my excitement. It is Evie Drake Starts Over by Linda Holmes. And Evie is a young woman. Well, she, like she's in her 20s, 30s. I can't remember now. I've read it so long ago. Um, but she has uh, been widowed. Her husband, Tim, who was the town doctor, died in a car accident. They lived in this small town in Maine. It was like where he grew up. And um, so it, she, he's killed in a car accident. And now, like a year later... She's living in their big house all by herself. She doesn't really go out. She lays on the floor and thinks about things a lot. Um, she does go out on the weekend. She has like a standing date with her best friend, Andy, who is a divorced dad of two. His daughters live with him. Um, she, he's her BFF. Like they, they're very, very close. Uh, they have been for many years. But like, and, you know, the town has a little bit of gossip about them, you know, like... You know, oh, they spent all this time together, and now, you know, she's she's single. But they tried, like, to look at each other seriously as romantic partners for, like, a second, and it didn't work. Like, they're just best friends. So he tells her one day that um, he has a friend named Dean Tenney. He is uh, an old friend from way back, and it turns out that Dean is a retired pitcher for the Yankees. Dean has something called the yips, which is he's lost his ability to pitch. Like, it, it's a it's a real term in baseball, and it's happened to several pitchers. Like, you've got it, you've got it, you've got it, and then one day you start throwing the ball, and it's going off into the stands. There was that one pitcher that hit um, Keith Oberman's mother one time um, with a, a wild ball. Like, it, and, and the more it happens, the worse it gets for these pitchers. Like, you just, like, it's out of control. 
And he goes from being like this hero to like being a laughing stock, and the internet is, you know, relentless in like taunting him and calling him names, and you know, he just he gets booed all the time. So he retires from baseball and he wants to go someplace and lay low where you know people won't bother him anymore. And it turns out that Evie has this uh, empty apartment in her house, so she agrees to rent it to Dean. And so she meets him, and he's handsome, and she's lovely, and they, they, you know, kind of hit it off, but they make this deal that they're not going to talk about the things that are bothering them. So Dean's not going to talk about, you know, not being able to pitch anymore, and Evie's not going to talk about uh, her losing her husband. And so they kind of go along on this, on this, you know, deal for a little while, and, like, interact, and, like, have dinner together in the house, and, like, do some stuff. But eventually they start, like, opening up you know, about what's going on. And it turns out that Evie was leaving her husband, Tim, the day that he was killed in the car accident. She was literally, like, packing up her car, and she got this call. And because, actually, it turns out that Tim is was very emotionally abusive to Evie. Like, on the outside, they seemed like this perfect couple, and he was the charming doctor, but he always belittled her. He was just terrible to her. He threw temper tantrums. And she had finally worked up the nerve to leave him, and then she gets this call that he's died. So everyone thinks that she's in her house, like, mourning him, when in fact it's, like, the absence of mourning that is really bringing her down because she doesn't, like, know what to do with this information now. And me, and she also sees Dean at night pitching pine cones at the back fence, like, in the middle of the night, or he goes out to the empty baseball field in the town and, and throws... Um, balls and like she knows that he's still even though he says like he's all done with pitching that like he's still thinking about it and so he talks about that so it's about you know secrets and loss and how keeping big secrets can damage relationships and friendships like Abby didn't tell anyone that like she had been leaving him she didn't tell her father who raised her she didn't tell her best friend Andy, like, she, and then after he, her husband died, she didn't tell anybody, like, I was actually going to leave him. Um, and she's been keeping this secret inside. So it's it's really hard for her. And so it's about, like, you know, getting a fresh start. And I just, I loved it. It's, like, the perfect balance of sweet and sad and funny. Um, you know, like, they have a really great chemistry, like, it, a really great chemistry. Linda Holmes did an amazing job, like, writing the Dean and, and Evie. And I was just so charmed. Now, Linda Holmes is the host of the Pop Culture Happy Hour. If you haven't heard that before, it's awesome, and you should listen to it. Um, Glenn Weldon is on there all the time, and he is so, so funny as well. Um, And it's just, like, it's just really great. It's it's this perspective about, like, the people who put their needs before others, um, like, from both sides. Like, um, Evie's mom left, uh, Andy's wife left. Um, and it's like, but it's also about like the people who are left behind, like from, from both perspectives, like what it's like. And I just, I loved it. So it is Evie Drake starts over by Linda Holmes. I'm so excited to read that one. It's so good. (laughs) All right. So the first book I have for this week is The Gone Dead by Chanel Benz. This is kind of a mix of like literary fiction and a mystery. Uh, you are following this character named Billy James. She's of mixed race descent. Her father was black. Her mother was white. 
And she is returning to Mississippi after decades away. uh, Her mother has recently passed away and she's inherited her father's old house, which has been just like completely empty. And it's just like this really old shack. So she decides to head down to Mississippi to sort of like settle the house and like all of the things that are going on in Mississippi because she hasn't been there in like 30 years. Her father died when she was about four years old and he was found dead in their like front yard, like near kind of this wooded area. And Billy doesn't really know that much about like her time during that period of her life. Um, She knows that her father passed away, but she doesn't really know much more than that. Um, And then her mother, after her father passes away, her mother basically takes her away to Philadelphia and like has just never has any real contact with that side of her family again. So her mother's now passed away. She realizes that she's inherited all these things from her father. She heads down to Mississippi. Um, and when she heads down there, she gets in contact with her uncle D, which is her father's brother, and to try to just settle everything up. But she knows, but she also is going down there because she wants to kind of reconnect with that side of her family as well as find out about like her family's history and what exactly happened when her father passed away. Um, Again, her father passed away when she was only four. And so it took place in about the 1970s. Her father was a black man. It's in Mississippi. Um, And so the police report basically said that her father was drinking too much and he like fell and like hit his head or something along those lines. And that's what caused him to die. But when Billy heads to Mississippi and starts to ask some questions. It's very clear that there isn't really that much information in the police report or information that people are willing to share about the events that occurred. Um, She starts talking to different people around the town. And while talking to this man named James Hobson, who knew her father, she finds out that Billy James was actually considered missing for a while. So after her father passed away, no one knew where Billy was. Um, it turns out that she was hiding in one of the closets in the house, but there was like around a 24 to 48 hour period where no one in the family knew where she was. Um, and she like starts to really question everything that's going on and all of the information that she knows Um she starts to ask like her uncle and her family members questions about her father and just their family in general, as well as what happened around his death. And they seem to be completely unwilling to talk about it. Um, and she's not sure if it's because they're hiding something or if it's be just because it's like such a traumatic event that it's difficult for them to talk about and they don't want to rehash those memories. Um Her father was also a writer and kind of considered sort of this like up and coming writer in Mississippi when he passed away. And while going through his things, she finds a chapter from an unfinished manuscript in, I think, one of the closets or something like that. And she decides to get in contact with this man named Dr. Melvin Hurley, who is this professor who has been doing a lot of writing and like academic research around her father's work. And so she contacts him to give him the manuscript as well as to help her understand like her own father and her family history and to start looking into everything that's um, occurred during that time period. Um, Of course, again, she's mixed race. And uh, as she starts digging around into her past and what happened on this day that her father passed away, she starts to ruffle some feathers in town um, and she starts to get kind of concerned about her own safety and well-being. So this is, again, sort of like a literary mystery. So it's part like 
family drama part mystery of what happened on this day. Um, This is a debut novel from Chanel Benz. And one of the great things is that she really does a great job of acknowledging the sort of like racial tensions happening at this time, both like the lack of respect and information given around like a black person dying in Mississippi in the 1970s, as well as sort of the prevailing racism and racial tensions that have occurred. Um, There's they talk, you know, about how a mixed race relationship would have been viewed in Mississippi during that time period and why like, Billy herself is like bringing up all of these sort of old memories and old tensions um, for this small town. Um, It's told from multiple points of view. So you get to see sort of the story being told from a bunch of different people who live in the town and a couple of different family members. Um, The voices all sound really distinct from each other, which is another really great thing. Something that I always have an issue with sometimes when reading multiple perspective books is when Everyone sort of sounds the same or you kind of wonder why you need the multiple perspectives. But because of the way the story sort of unfolds, it's really nice to have the multiple perspectives because you get sort of like little hints and information from different people as the story goes on. Um, It's a really, really interesting book, a really great book. I enjoyed it a lot. I think that if you are someone who enjoys that sort of combination of literary fiction and mystery, um, if you like sort of that darker Southern Gothic sort of feeling to a book, then I think that this one would be one that's totally up your alley. And again, that's The Gone Dead by Chanel Benz. I'm really excited to read that. I held off because I saw that you wanted to do it for the show, so I haven't read it yet. But I am a huge fan of her collection, which came out last year, the year before. The Man Who Shot Out My Eye is Dead. Really, really, really great. Recommend that highly. So my next pick is Big Sky by Kate Atkinson. Now, we've had a few Kate Atkinson novels in the last several years, Uh, which have been amazing. Kate Atkinson is always amazing. But this one is exciting because it is the first Jackson Brody book in nine years. This is the fifth in the Jackson Brody series. Um, Started Early Took My Dog came out like in 2010, which seems impossible at this point that it could be that long, but it is. Um, Before I go any further into the book, I want to just give a trigger warning for discussion of some pretty upsetting stuff including sexual assault and child abuse. Um, So back to Jackson Brody. Um, He was a former military police officer, and now he, in these series, he works as a private investigator. Um, He is, you know, kind of like rugged, and he's a decent guy. He's very fair, and he's kind of like brooding, and that's his whole shtick. And so now he's living in a small seaside village with his teenage son, and his old dog, and he's working on cases like, you know, like theft, and like a woman thinks her husband is cheating on him, on on him, on her. He's not cheating on Jackson. And uh, a chance encounter that Jackson Brody has uh, in his town exposes a sex trafficking ring. Um, and an, parallel to that, DC Reggie, who is an old friend of Brody's. Uh, is investigating an old child assault case and uh, one of the perpetrators who is getting out of jail in the hopes to find a third suspected uh, perpetrator. Um, so I'm going to stop right there with like the plot because it's hella heavy. Like that is serious stuff, and it, it like everything that Kate Atkinson writes. I mean, it's like so bleak and terrible. Um, and my friend actually read this too, and she said, you know, she said I don't think that. 
I could read anyone else writing about this except for Kate Atkinson. Kate Atkinson, if you have not read her, she is such an incredible writer. Like, I cannot say it enough. And her books, you know, are full of serious, serious stuff. But she, they're not filled with, I don't want to say hope, but, like, humanity. Like, you still see the humanity and the good of people um, in all of this. And also, part of that works because she puts so much humor in her books. Um, just really, like, corny jokes sometimes and just, like, funny situations to, like, offset, like, the, oh, my goodness, this is so depressing. And she also is really great at writing kids. I really liked Brody's teenage son, Nathan. He's, like, a teenager, and he's sort of in that phase where, like, he doesn't want anything to do with his parents and his dad. And there's also Harry, the stepson of uh, Brody's client, who's really great, um, and she has a great, like, I think my favorite child character in fiction is the little kid in the last Brody novel, which is called uh, Started Early, Took My Dog. Um, just so charming and funny. So, you know, it's full of terrible things, but also really funny, incredibly well written. And it's about not just, like, these things that are happening, like the, the mystery, but about, like, admitting our failings and, you know, growing and learning as people um, it's just, it's so fantastic. So again, if you have not, first of all, I want to mention, if you have not read a Jackson Brody novel, you don't have to have read the other ones to read this one. In. Um, they're very literary mysteries, but I highly recommend just going back and reading all of them because they're incredible. Starting with Case Histories, um, which is a TV show now, I believe. I should probably watch that. Um, so again, this is called The Big Sky and it's by the queen, Kate Atkinson. I had no idea Case Histories was a TV show now. <laughs> yeah, with Jason Isaacs. I kept forgetting that they were making it, but like now I think it's available for streaming. But I watched an interview with her and him a couple of years ago on YouTube, and she just says whatever she's thinking. Like, she's amazing. And, and she was like, I wasn't really excited about them casting you at first or something like that. <laughs> or maybe just like, I wasn't really excited about them casting you. I can't remember. But I was like, oh, dang. <laughs> That's amazing. Yeah, I read Case Histories a long, long time ago and the follow-up, but I haven't, like, kept up with the series, so now I need to. So good. All right, my next pick is The Great Unexpected by Dan Mooney. Um, this is a book that was originally re released in the UK, I think, last year um, and is now being published um, in the US. And this is basically like one of those like really feel good type of books, which I feel like you need every now and then. Um, you are following this character named Joel. He's living in a nursing home and he's kind of a curmudgeon. Uh, his wife, Lucy, has passed away around three years ago at this point. Um, and he eventually got a roommate in the nursing home named Miller, who was actually in a coma. Um, and so the joke at the beginning is that Joel loves having Miller as a roommate because he's a completely agreeable person. Um, but at the beginning of the book, uh, Miller actually passes away while Joel is in the room too. And like Joel is obviously like really affected by that death. Um, and 
after Miller passes away, he starts to realize like how much he hates being in the nursing home. Like he's always kind of like been real grumpy about it, but he starts to really real like recognize all the things he doesn't like about it, specifically like the lack of autonomy and independence that he has. Uh, every morning he has like a fight with his nurse about uh, taking his pills because he doesn't want to just be like told to take the pills. He wants to be kind of like trusted that he will take the pills. Like he wishes the nurse would just leave the cup of pills and walk away as opposed to having to sit there and watch him take the pills before he can leave the room. Um, he has a distant relationship with his daughter. He talks about how uh, his daughter was really close to his wife, Lucy. And so Lucy or and so his daughter and the grandchildren would like come and visit because like Lucy would always keep in touch with them and things like that. But after Lucy passed away, their connection was basically lost and he doesn't really talk to them anymore. Um, and so he's kind of like thinking about how his life doesn't really have purpose or meaning anymore. And um, he thinks that he wants to kind of end his own life or like basically be done with everything. Um, that sort of leads to uh, a new roommate coming in. So after Miller passes away a couple of days later, he gets a new roommate named Frank. Frank is a former actor. He's really flamboyant over the top. He like makes jokes with everyone, things like that. Obviously, Joel is not a big fan of that in the beginning uh, because he just finds him to be kind of annoying. Uh, but they start talking a little bit. Frank starts to kind of engage with Joel as a friend and try to like make conversations with him, find out what's going on. Um, the two confide in each other and they start to talk about like real things, real relationships. And Joel talks to Frank about how he's feeling about his life. And he expects Frank to be like, oh no, don't do it. Like you have so much to live for, things like that. Um, but Frank actually was says like, oh, you know, this is a really great way to show the people in the nursing home uh how you're feeling about everything here and would show them like that they can't just like treat all of us here living in the nursing home as babies. So you have to do this in a really like dramatic and pointful way. Um, so you and so the two of them basically start to go on adventures together, sort of exploring what's around them and exploring what their options are. And obviously, like they start to form this real friendship and bond and start to sort of figure out like unexpectedly, but it's kind of expected for the reader, they start to realize that there's like more going on in Joel's life than he gives himself credit for. Um, so yeah, like I said, it's one of those really like heartwarming novels. Um, it It's getting a lot of comps to a man called Ove, which I think is, or Ove, which I think is like kind of apt. It has that same sort of like heartwarming feeling to it, but it does have like those really sad parts. Um, I One of the things I, again, really liked about it is the fact that they talk about how um, the elderly are treated. Um, one of the things that Joel is constantly complaining about is the fact that he's like treated like a baby, like he doesn't have a mind of his own or that um, he can't be responsible for himself in any sort of way. And I think that's sort of a failing on society as a whole in real life um there's a book called being mortal by atul Gawande, which goes into it which like ever since i read that book it's been something i've thought about a lot and i think that this book does a really good job of telling the story from an older person's perspective and talking about how difficult it can be for them because they recognize the fact that they can't do everything that they used to do but it also doesn't mean that they can't do anything um the friendship in here is really really heartwarming it's a very standard sort of like odd couple sort of relationship because joel is this like curmudgeon who 
pretends like he doesn't like anything and Frank is really flamboyant and over the top and is friendly with everyone, things like that. And it's really sweet to see sort of how their relationship forms and how they learn to trust each other, um, how they both sort of put their guards down, how Joel confides in Frank um, really honestly, but also how Frank really confides in Joel as well and sort of lets down that actor side of him so that way Joel can see um, who he really is and things like that. So yeah, if you want like a really heartwarming read, then I highly recommend The Great Unexpected by Dan Mooney. All right. I am going to tell you about our next sponsor. Uh, FabFitFun is back. Uh, are you a beauty and fashion maven constantly on the hunt for the next best thing? Then you must try FabFitFun. FabFitFun is a seasonal subscription box that delivers full-size beauty, fashion, home, fitness, and wellness products four times a year for just $49.99 a box. Every box is guaranteed to have over $200 in retail value, and the 2019 FabFitFun Summer Box is on sale now. So if you've been listening to the show, you know that they have been sending me these to check out and they're so much fun. I think I mentioned last time, like, I feel like a cat because I'm just really excited about the box itself. Like, everything comes in. It's, like, covered in flowers and it's brightly colored. And I was like, oh, what can I put in there? Uh, but there's also amazing stuff inside. Um, you get, like, full-size makeup. Uh, it was amazing because I was cleaning out my cabinets um, and I was like, oh, I have an eyeshadow. I don't remember owning eyeshadow. I should wear eyeshadow, but oh, this one's like nine years old. I'm going to throw this out. And the same day I got the FabFit Fun Box in the mail and it has this like, incredible eyeshadow palette. And I was like, this is a sign that I should wear eyeshadow. So now I just rub it all over my face. Um, no, not really. But um, there was like a, a rose spray, like a rose scented spray that you put on your pillow to, to help you sleep. Um, there were sunglasses. There was a necklace. Uh, there's a tote bag. You just get like all this really cool stuff. And it, like it like it says, you know, it's full size. And as you know, like when you're trick or treating, the full size candy is way better. You go to that house first before you go get the, the miniature candy. It's just full of great stuff. So you too can have this fun stuff. You can customize your box by choosing some products and add-ons or be surprised with each box. And it's great for discovering new brands and products. So you can sign up for FabFitFun today, but you better hurry because these boxes always sell out. Um, there are so many people on Instagram, like if you look at the hashtag FabFitFun, so many people just freaking out excited about these boxes, like so many pictures. Uh, so you want to get on that because they sell out right away. Uh, and you can get $10 off your first box when you use the code BOOKS at FabFitFun.com. That's promo code BOOKS to get over $200 worth of products for only $39.99. So again, go to FabFitFun.com and use the code BOOKS to get $10 off your first FabFitFun box. All right. And speaking of fun, um, I don't think... So we use uh, the Slack on Book Riot, like the internal channel where we all talk. It's sort of like a chat room. And I don't think I've seen so many people scrambling to get a book than when someone dropped the description of my next pick into the chat. It is Wicked Fox by Cat Cho. It is a fast-paced, fun, urban fantasy. It's so much fun. Uh, so, uh, from outward appearances, Gu Young seems like a normal 18-year-old living in Seoul. She's kind of sulky. She's kind of sullen. She likes to hang out with her friends. She likes to hang out inside and watch TV and listen to K-pop. Uh, you know, they're just in, living, like, the teen life in South Korea. However, it turns out that Gu Young is actually half-human, half Gumiho, which is 
a nine-tailed fox that devours the energy of men. I think that was, like, what sold it for everybody. We're like, okay, yes, we need this book. Um, which is which is an actual, like, uh, Korean um, spirit and myth and part of their their heritage, this this tale of the Gumiho. And so she's, like, psyched to be in Seoul now because she is one of those... She's, like, Angel on Buffy who, like, only eats, you know, the blood of, like, you know, animals or, like, Dexter who only hunts serial killers... She will only feed on the energy of criminals and, and bad bad men. Um, and she's in a big city, so there are lots of those around. Uh, but one night, she's hunting, it's a full moon, and she's going through the forest, and she comes across a boy being attacked by a goblin, and she saves him, which is a big no-no. You're not supposed to interfere with the events going on in the human world. I mean, she's, she's in the human world, but, like, you're not supposed to... She's immortal. She's not supposed to get involved. And so she saves him, which is yay, but she loses her fox bead, which is her Gumiho soul, which is, ooh, that's bad. Um, you know, she's going to lose her immortality. Uh, so the boy that she saves is Ji-hoon, and he's just like, he doesn't know what's going on. The book is told from both of their points of view. It goes back and forth. And, you know, like, you're in the woods, and you're looking for your your grandmother's dog, and now it's a uh, goblin. Hello. Uh, so it's he shakes him up quite a bit. And... But now he sees he sees Gumi Young at school, um, and you know that thing where they say like if you save someone's life, you know like you're stuck with them for the rest of your life. It's kind of like that thing, and they strike up this friendship, um, and but like there's definitely sparks there. Um, her mom, Gumi Ho, uh, not Gumi Young's mom, is also a Gumi Ho. She is cold as ice. She's like an ancient Gumi Ho. She's been around since like forever and she's just she you know had a relation with a man and she has her daughter but she's like really she's tough as nails and the big rule is like don't get involved with humans don't fall for humans and she's like always criticizing her daughter and so you know Gumi Young has kind of like a tough like time at home um and she needs to find someone who can put her soul back. And so she's, like, searching for someone who can work that kind of magic. And things go horribly wrong. Um, and it's it's so much fun. It's about tough choices. It's about traditions and tough choices. And um, Gooby Young is a total badass. But she also struggles. Like I said, she, you know, she has problems with her mom. And, you know, she doesn't want to just take the energy of just anyone. And, you know, and meanwhile, like... Jihoon is, he's a cinnamon roll. He's, like, sweet to his grandmother. He's cute. He's really polite. And it's really fun to watch them as they fall for each other. Uh, and this is actually the first in a series. Um, there is going to be more, which is exciting news for all of us. And also, um, uh, Kat Cho put a pronunciation guide up on her Instagram account, so I will try to remember to drop a link to that in the show notes because uh, it helped as I was reading the book. So again, it is called Wicked Fox, and it is by Kat Cho. Okay, I have a nonfiction pick for my next book, and that is called The Patient Assassin, A True Tale of Massacre, Revenge, and India's Quest for Independence by Anita Anad. Um, so this book covers uh, the Jalanwala Bang Massacre, which took place in April of 1919 in the province of Punjab in India. And this is one of those events where, like, if you are Punjabi, like, you know about this. But I think outside of that, people don't really know very much about this event. Um, so this is a time when 
the British were still ruling over India. And Sir Michael O'Dwyer, who was the lieutenant governor of Punjab at the time, was getting really concerned about the impact that uh, Gandhi was having on the country as a whole, but specifically his state, how people were starting to increasingly protest and strike against the British government, um, and how Hindus and Muslims who typically were at each other's throats or in contention were starting to uh, team up with each other in order to overthrow the British. And so what was happening is there was this unauthorized gathering in uh, John Jalinwala Bagh, which is like this square almost. Um, and what Sir Michael does is he ordered um, his soldiers to basically block off the walled garden um, so that way no one could escape. Um, there's thousands of people inside right at this point, and he instruct he was instructed to tell the soldiers to open fire on everyone in the square and to specifically target the thick parts of the crowd. Um, so there were again thousands of people there, men, women, and children. Um, they basically opened fire for ten minutes and only stopped because they ran out of ammunition. So obviously, there's been like reports of hundreds of people dying. Um, there's like conflicting reports about exactly how many people died because of this event. But obviously, you know, it's a significant amount. Um, and so according to like Punjabi legend, there was this sick orphan who uh, named Udam Singh, who was injured during the attack, but didn't die. But he like basically laid on the ground until the next day when he was able to get up again. Um, and supposedly he picked up a handful of blood soaked earth, smeared it across his forehead, and then vowed to kill the men responsible for this attack. And so you follow the story of uh, Singh, as well as the you follow the story of the British, um, it starts off giving you that sort of overview of the massacre itself. Um, and then it sort of flashes back in time a little bit to provide context for what was happening in India during that time. Um, the author provides the point of view of the British as well as people from India. So that way you understand the context for the choices that were made. Um, and eventually... Singh does end up traveling to London to attack um, Sir Michael O'Dwyer and I believe a couple of other people. And so like looking at it from, you know, a higher level point of view, um, an Indian man going to London to kill a Londoner from like a British perspective, like that man would be considered a terrorist. And but from the Indian perspective, um, a lot of people viewed sing as like a hero because he was avenging this horrific event that occurred on their land. Um, and I think that the author does, again, a really great job of providing both perspectives. So you kind of, not that you can forgive the choices that were made, but you can kind of understand the perspective. Um, she also does a really good job of providing context. So if you are someone who doesn't know anything about British Indian relations, um, or if you don't know anything about the history of their like colonial colonialization, um, or you don't understand like the political context, she provides a lot of that information for you. Um, I am of Indian descent. And so but I know like nearly nothing outside of the fact that India gained independence in like 1947, which was clearly not that long ago. Um, but outside of that, I don't really know that much. And so this book does a great job of providing that context. She also uh, connects it to a lot of the things that were happening in history during that time. And a lot of things that uh, 
a lot of ideas that were rising during that time period, including like Marxism and things like that, Indian people started gravitating towards. Um, so she talks about how there were handfuls of people uh, from India who were like studying in Europe and around England and things like that would join these Marxist clubs um, because it really appealed to them and how that sort of influenced the choices that were made later on in the country. Um so yeah, if you are someone who enjoys history books, I highly recommend this book. But I think that this is an extremely, I hate saying readable nonfiction, because I don't think nonfiction is really that hard to read. But this story is really captivating, um, and really intriguing. And I think um, the author does a great job of, again, just providing this very unknown part of history to readers. Um, so again, that's called The Patient Assassin, A True Tale of Massacre, Revenge, and India's Quest for Independence by Anita Anand. I have no good segue whatsoever for my next pick. Uh, so I'm just going to roll right into it. I'm going to give you a quick quick review. Uh, it is The Van Apfel Girls Are Gone by Felicity McLean. It is set in Australia um, and just reading the synopsis, like, I was like, it sounds like a cross between the Virgin Suicides and Picnic and Hanging Rock, and, like, everyone makes these comparisons. Um, it is, takes place in the hot summer of 1992. There are three sisters, Cordelia, Hannah, and Ruth, and they are at an outdoor concert, and they disappear. Like, all three sisters are gone. There are no clues as to what happened to them, no hints that this was going to happen. You know, did they... Did they run away? Did they meet somebody? Were they kidnapped? Like, what has happened to them? Nothing is ever found out about where they went, like, where they were taken, like, what happened to them if they were taken. Um, it's never solved. Um, all they know is, like, that they're gone. And um, and the reason it made me think of the Virgin Suicides is because um, they have these very strict parents, the Ben Apple girls. Um, reminded me a lot of that. Now, Tika Malloy was 11 years old. She was living next to them she's their neighbor with her older sister and this is like a very traumatic thing like the, this is a big event in their town these girls are missing they're never found and it kind of like leaves a mark and 20 years later uh, she has to return to Australia to visit her sister who is very sick and they start discussing like what they remember about what happened and what they thought they each knew and they start filling in holes in their memories and like discussing what went on um and it's about how the sisters are gone, but it's more a coming-of-age story with suspense um, and how the disappearance affects those left behind. And also a little bit like um, the... Oh, goodness, what's the Ian McEwan novel? I've lost it completely. Oh, Atonement! There we go. Um, like in how like children interpret things that they don't understand. Um, and also, so normally I don't look at reviews or Goodreads or anything before I read a book, but I was looking it up to see if this was for young adults or if this was an adult book. It is an adult book. Um, and I totally saw this spoiler, like, right there um, on the page as I was, like, scrolling. So don't look up anything about it before because it'll just ruin it and then you'll know what went on. So, because um, that, I guess that's the definition of a spoiler. <laughs> I'm so smart today. Um, so again, it's called The Van Apple Girls Are Gone, and it's by Felicity McLean. Okay, my final pick for today is Murder in the Cricket House by Soji Shimada and translated by Louise Heal Kawai. Soji Shimada uh, wrote this. This book was originally published in like the 1980s, um, and they wrote the book Tokyo Zodiac Murders, which I know a couple of people who have read. Bananas. Um, so 
<laughs> yeah. So if you know that book, then this is the same author. This is a locked room mystery, and this is being re-released by Pushkin Press. So this one, you are following this millionaire named Kozaburo Hamamoto. Sorry about that. Um, and he's decided to build this like really insane house on like in like northern Japan uh, on a cliff overlooking like the icy seas. And so the house itself is like those the book starts off basically just describing what the house is like. It's like a bunch of mazes. It's literally crooked. Like if you're walking there, like you can tell it's literally crooked and sloped. Um, there's like staircases that only lead you to certain rooms. There's like 15 different bedrooms or something like that. Um, it's also full of these like terrifying masks and like life-size dolls. So it's very creepy. Um, and so the Hamamoto invites a bunch of different people to the mansion for the Christmas holiday. And the story starts off with them having dinner and he decides like for fun during the dinner, he'll like start to ask them all these different riddles and to see if people can figure it out. And, you know, they're having a lot of fun together. And then he realizes that there's a specific riddle that he thinks will be really um stump them. So he leads them to one of the towers and he shows them from the top of the tower that one of the beds is like shaped like a rose. And the idea is that um, he wants them to try to figure out why he has this specific flower bed in the house in this spot and things like that. And so that's like basically at the end of the night and, you know, no one has figured it out up until that point. And so he leads them back to the main parts of the house and everyone goes to sleep for the night. Um, One of the guests wakes up in the middle of the night because she hears some screaming or some noises outside. And when she like wakes up, she sees someone outside her window, but she's on the top floor of the mansion. So there's no way that someone could be outside her window. So she like screams at the top of her lungs. A couple of people come to check it out, but they can't see any sort of evidence of like someone being out there. The next morning they wake up and someone has died. And so it's the police come like the local detectives come to try to figure out what exactly is happening. But the person who's died is in a locked bedroom or in a locked room of the house. And so they can't figure out like how exactly this death occurred. He was stabbed. So they know it wasn't like a suicide or anything like that. Um, And there's like a bunch of weird things that are happening. There's like one of the life-size dolls is found outside. This is, again, taking place over the Christmas holiday. So there's snow outside and things like that. They don't see any footprints in the snow that could indicate that someone was in the area. Um, And so the detectives basically just start to look into the mystery and you watch them kind of figure out the clues and it goes on for a couple of days. And that first person who dies is not the only person who dies over the course of the story. Um, So yeah, this is kind of your classic locked room mystery. It isn't super like plot heavy, um, but it is really interesting if you're the type of mystery reader who likes to figure out the mysteries along the way. Um, So it kind of has that old school Agatha Christie-esque sort of vibe to it. There actually is a part in the book, like it's broken up into three acts and then an epilogue. And between, I think it's act three and the epilogue, there's like a section, like a section header that says like, reader, what do you think happened? So like the story is laid out in a way that you're given all of the clues. And so you could theoretically figure out what happened. Now, I did not figure out what happened, but that's because I never would I never figure out what happens in mystery books unless it's like really, really obvious. But you might have fun doing that. Um, and so if you are looking for that kind of 
real puzzle mystery sort of book, then I think that you'll like this one. It's not as like wacky and over the top, not wacky, but it's not as like over the top as Zodiac or sorry, Tokyo Zodiac Murders was. Uh, It's much more of like a subtle mystery book. So again, that's Murder in the Crooked House by Soji Shimada and translated by Louise Heal Kawai. I am excited to read this one. I held off on this one as well because I knew you were going to read it. But I did read the Tokyo Zodiac Murders, and I've read a bit about Shimada, and he is so prolific. He has written dozens of novels, um, but this is only the second one that has been translated into English. And he does the same thing in the Tokyo Zodiac Murders, where like you're two-thirds of the way through, and he s- stops and says, you now have all the clues to solve this case. What do you think? And I was like, I have no idea. Like, yeah, right. I have no idea at all. Sometimes I'm pretty good at figuring things out with mysteries. I was like, nothing. Like, no clue. So I'm really excited about this one because he's really fun. So thank you so much for joining me, Rincy, and talking about new books. Now I'm going to inquire as to what you're going to read next. Um, so I speak, I feel like I've done nothing but talk about mysteries, but I feel that's like cool. that's also apt. Yeah. <laughs> So the book I'm going to be reading next is They All Fall Down by Rachel Housel Hall. This one came out earlier this year, and it's uh, inspired by Agatha Christie's And Then There Were None. And I know Katie read it uh, for one of our Red or Dead episodes, and she like just raved about it. So I have a copy out from the library that is due very soon. So I'm very excited to pick that one up. Nothing like those deadlines to get you to read stuff. Seriously, you know, like, I I need that pressure, like galleys expiring and stuff, to get me to like, okay, I, I have to do this now. It, it works for me. Um, I got a galley in the mail this morning, and it coincidentally is about witches. It's called Memoir of a Witch by Amanda Yates Garcia. Uh, or no, excuse me, it's called Initiated Memoir of a Witch. You can tell I don't know what I'm doing. Um, and it says here that she herself is a Wiccan and her mother was a practicing witch and who initiated her into the earth-centered practice of witchcraft when she was 13 years old. Um, and all about that. So, sounds cool. I'm going to read that. And that is it for today. Thank you to Libro.fm. Go to Libro.fm and enter the code BR3 to get three months of audiobooks for the price of one. Uh, thank you to The Daughters of Temperance Hobbs, the new book from New York Times bestselling author Catherine Howe, which is on sale now from Henry Holt. And thank you to FabFitFun.com. Go to FabFitFun.com and use the code BOOKS to get $10 off your first FabFitFun box. If you want to drop us a line, you can reach us at all the books at BookRiot.com. You can find us online. I'm on Instagram at FriendsIncomesAlive. And you can find Rincey on Twitter at R-I-N-C-E-Y-A, Rincey A. And if you want to give us a treat, you can go to Apple Podcasts and leave us a rating or review. It helps other book lovers to find us. And as much as we would love to tell you about more books today, we just don't have the time, but you can read about more titles out now in the show notes at bookriot.com slash all the books, as well as find a link to our weekly new books newsletter. And in the meantime, happy reading. Happy reading. Happy reading.